With this in mind, I was traveling to Damascus, traveling to Little Rock, to Tulsa, to Bentonville, to West Fork, to East Fayetteville, when at midday along the road, Your Excellency, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and my companions. If you were in your car at midday, perhaps even driving home from church with the thoughts of worship still fresh in your mind, and the risen Christ were to appear to you, what would he say about the road you are on, about the direction of your life? And what ministry would that risen Christ call you to? Today we celebrate the feast of the conversion of St. Paul, the saint of God from whom this congregation takes its name. And as his namesake, we must never forget either the life from which he was called or the ministry to which God called him. In a world in which religion plays such a prominent role in the lives and deaths of God's children, our identity as those who follow in the footsteps of Paul has never been more important. Paul was a religious zealot. He was advanced in the practice of his faith. He maintained the traditions of his ancestors. Among his peers, he knew no one as committed to Judaism as himself. He made the preservation and purification of his religion his only priority. He devoted his life to it. Paul took any threat to Judaism personally, perceiving it as a threat to himself and his way of life. Thus, Paul stayed furiously enraged at anyone who dared come between him and his religion. He would even force them to blaspheme so that he could cast his vote against them when they were condemned. For Paul, anger and death were a way of life. This future apostle to the Gentiles was unequivocally faithful, but he was faithful not to God, but to his own twisted understanding of religion. We must remember that Paul's own blasphemous error was not his allegiance to Judaism, but his perversion of it. Deluded by his own zealotry, Paul was unaware that he had substituted a self-seeking religion, one masked by all the familiar trappings of the faith of his ancestors, for the actual faith of his ancestors. Because the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, of Sarah, Hagar, Rebecca, Rachel, Leah, of Moses, and Miriam, that faith is a faith that promises life and freedom and healing, and redemption. Judaism is the good news of God's love for all people, the hope of a light to enlighten the nations through the stories of God's people, Israel. So anyone whose faithfulness aligns with the powers of death and destruction instead of the God of life and resurrection must be mistaken. 
Paul wasn't wrong because Paul wasn't a Christian. Paul was wrong because he thought God's ways could be accomplished through murder and hatred. That is the critical thing for us to keep in mind because even a quick look at our own history reminds us that calling yourself a Christian is no guarantee of real faithfulness. It wasn't long after Christianity became the religion of the empire that the persecuted became the persecutors. The slaughter of Muslims and Jews became the policy of the church in medieval Europe. The idea that Jesus' name should be carried to the ends of the earth fueled colonialism and was used to justify human trafficking in the transatlantic slave trade. Perverted forms of Christianity were the basis for maintaining segregation and for sanctioning the murder of millions of Jews in the Holocaust. And the name of Jesus is still used as a justification for violence against human beings because of their race, ethnicity, sexuality, gender, immigration status, occupation, or political persuasion. Surely those are examples of moments when Christians have fallen into the trap of religious zealotry that we can all recognize. But I wonder how easy it is for us to tell when we are the ones who have become tangled up in the same trap that ensnared Paul. What happens when it's our traditions, our convictions, our persuasions, the religion of our ancestors that is being challenged? Can we trust ourselves to know when the right thing to do is to just shrug our shoulders in a gesture of religious tolerance and when it's right to push back and fight against what we perceive as an encroachment against our own way of life? In other words, where is that line between righteous indignation and self-righteous anger. Paul reminds us that we cannot serve God if we are serving ourselves. We cannot be faithful to God if we are actually being faithful to the God of our own invention. God never calls us to meet our own needs. God always calls us to meet the needs of others. If any would become my disciple, Jesus said, let them take up their cross and follow me. Even with the best intentions, until we have given ourselves over completely to the one who brings life to the world, we risk standing on the side of death. And when we confuse the two, when we wrap up our own self-seeking agenda in the veneer of religion, the result is tragic and blasphemous. If we are to be confident in our efforts of holiness, we must, like Paul, encounter the risen Christ. Until that moment on the road to Damascus, nothing could stop Paul. He was a citizen of the empire. He was a religious leader. He had all of the official authority and unofficial admiration he needed to do whatever he thought was right. And the result was death. But when the resurrected Jesus met him on that road, 
everything stopped. The persecution stopped. The hatred stopped. The murderous rage stopped. Because Paul had found the one in whom death had been defeated, the one through whom God had brought life to the dead, Paul's allegiance to the kingdom of death and destruction could no longer stand. On his knees, Paul became a servant of the resurrected one and a missionary of life and hope for the whole world. Today, we celebrate Paul's conversion from the way of death to the way of Jesus, and we seek that same conversion in our lives. For Paul, this wasn't a subtle transformation or a a gradual realization. It was the total reversal of his identity. It was a reversal that could only be accomplished by the very one whom he had been persecuting, the one who was killed and raised from the dead, even Jesus Christ. When we meet the risen Jesus on our own Damascus road, it is always our allegiance to the powers of this world, our place among the forces of ego, greed, division, and hatred that that risen Jesus confronts. Why are you persecuting me? Jesus says to each one of us when we are trapped in our own resentments. Why are you standing on the side of death? The way of Jesus always leads to love and forgiveness, even among our enemies and our opponents, because our God is the one who reconciles the whole world to God's self. The way of Jesus must be a way of humility and sacrifice because our God uses the cross, an instrument of torture and death, in order to accomplish our salvation. If we are to be found with God, we must encounter the risen Christ. If we are to walk the way of Jesus, we must be confronted by the one who died for the sake of the world. If we are to be servants of God, if we are to be missionaries of God's love and carry that good news to the ends of the earth, we must begin with our own conversion, our own experience of the resurrection, for it is only the crucified one who was raised from the dead who has the power to give us life. Thanks be to God. Amen.